coming to you from St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, an open and affirming congregation within the United Church of Christ, is the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast with the Red-Headed Preacher, Richard Lanford, pastor of St. Peter's since the 1990s. And the message today is called, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And as he says, or as I say, right away, the title is from the 1967 film, but it is inspired by the scripture and uh, the surprise that one hopes will come at the end because the parable that Luke has for us that you will hear, there is no ending. People are left hanging. What will the elder brother do? That's because the choice is for those who listen. And we're going to be listening. At least you are. I'll be recording and preaching. And Barb Todd is our lector, a very skilled reader and a longtime Sunday school teacher and youth group leader at St. Peter's. Today is March 27th. We are in Lent. And I thank you for tuning in. And I ask you to pause a moment or two as I offer up a brief prayer. Mysterious and marvelous God, we give you thanks for this opportunity and for the gifts from technology that we can record in one location with one little phone and it be heard after editing with other technology on other places, wherever people are, whether it's by a phone or or a tablet or something else, we give you thanks for the assistance of technology and bringing the good news. We ask your blessing on this time of proclamation that you may also and more fully bless the time of reception and listening. It is for your blessing we ask because we are here for you. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. And now let's turn to Barb Todd who will introduce the scriptures that she's reading for us this morning. Our first lesson this morning is Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle else it will not stay near you. 
Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This ends the reading of Psalm 32. Our epistle lesson is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. The Apostle Paul has been defending his ministry, even as he has been explaining the good news. He said that once he looked at Christ from a human perspective, but does not do that any longer. In turn, this affects how he thinks of those who belong to Christ. In fact, as a result of this new point of view, he proclaims that in Christ, believers in him are new creations. Paul wrote, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. This ends the epistle reading. Yes, I know that my sermon title is the same as the classic 1967 film featuring Katherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, and Sidney Poitier. But my inspiration for the message comes from the first verses of Luke 15, which you heard Barb read. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Dinner, perhaps. That dinner, though, is not one with the surprising guests coming. It is a precursor. It triggers the good news, which Jesus will challenge them to realize and to embrace. As verse 3 gives us, so Jesus told them this parable. Actually, we know that he told three. Our scriptures this morning do not begin and end with this beloved parable. We have something in Psalm 32, something in 2 Corinthians 5, and in Luke 15, which all have a voice, and their voices point us to a common theme or really two interrelated themes. Well, what are they? And how could they have anything to do 
with surprising guests coming to dinner. Well, here's one hint at at least the first theme. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. While I kept silence, my body wasted away. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You surrounded me with glad cries of deliverance. The psalmist confessed his sins to God. Now sometimes you and I may have things to confess that will never be in our Sunday prayers of confession. We must pray them elsewise, if not elsewhere. I went through a time of feeling distant from God, not a brief time, and I knew what I had to do. I did what the psalmist did, and what I trust you have done in similar circumstances. I confessed my sin. And like the psalmist, I felt restored after my intentional private prayer. The distance I had sensed disappeared. There was reconciliation between us, preceded, of course, by the first reconciliation Jesus created for all of us on Golgotha and in the resurrection. Psalm 32 has a theme of reconciliation and restoration, which are the two kind of intermingled. And this is between us and God. It is genuine, and it requires true honesty about ourselves and our need for God's love for us. Now that's very intimate and private, but not necessarily personal. Paul talks about how a restored link to God affects how we look at others too, especially if we are in the same faith, but I wouldn't limit it to that. So Barb read for us one of the great passages of the New Testament. But I wish, I wish, that the lectionary writers prepared this reading to begin at verse 14 rather than verse 16 because it gives more context to what we did here. It helps us understand it better. I mean, what does it mean when he wrote, there is a new creation, everything old has passed away? etc. What difference does it make for us? We hear these words. Okay, before jumping to verse 14, let us remember there are these, I believe there are these related themes of reconciliation with God and restoration. They're in all three of our passages. So verse 14 proclaims this when we would have heard, and I will tell you, for the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Then you and I hear, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, or as it used to say, behold, 
everything new. Everything has become new. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's a lot of scripture quoted at one time. Are you still with me? In response to the gospel of grace, we surrender our old inclination to make ourselves the center of our lives and replace our ego, our self-will, which can run riot, with that of Christ Jesus. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for us, for them. Out with the old, the self-absorbed person were born, and in with the new, who live not for themselves, but for Jesus, who died and rose again for us. The new creation, then, is the living for him who died that we might live for him, which is now in us. The new creation is in those who have been reconciled to God, God's justice, God's holiness, and God's seeking, loving heart. This response to unmerited favor, this response of yours and mine to God's grace in Jesus, changes the one, capital O, the one for whom we live. It's not us anymore. That's the old creation. That's passed away. It's not, it's not us anymore, and he, inside, then shapes how we look at and how we relate to others. No longer from a human perspective, as we used to look at people before Jesus got a hold of how we look at others, or as the Greek really reads, according to the flesh. No longer looking at people according to the flesh, but from the perspective of those who have been changed by God from the point of view of those who have been reconciled with God, restored to God's family. That's the old that has passed away and the new that has come, which changes how we look at people, and including ourselves. T. Denise Anderson, who has been writing for Sojourners magazine, said, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. We now see everyone as God sees them. If anyone is in Christ, they are new and embraced, embraced by God as family. They stand on higher ground simply because they are loved by God and they follow Christ. This reconciliation, she says, is indeed radical because we are the ones who had fallen away. We are the prodigals. And yet we're lifted above the messes we've made so that we can behold the one who loves us eye to eye. So confessing our sins to God brings us back into an honest, healed relationship with God. The psalmist repented. He stopped running away from his falling short and he fessed up and he experienced the mercy of God. He was restored. Realizing the superabundant, undeserved love of God we know in Jesus, offered to each of us, offered to the world, accepted by faith, also repairs our connection with the triune God. It changes our inner orientation, and that impacts how you and I look at each other anew under God. Then, telling the parable 
of two sons and a caring father, Jesus hopes that listening scribes and Pharisees will get the good news that is meant for all. There's a book called Overhearing the Gospel, and it kind of goes on the idea that sometimes you listen more closely to a conversation. If you're in a restaurant and there's somebody in another booth that has an interesting conversation, you listen in, and you, you might pay more attention to that. So can it be if somebody is preaching the gospel in a way that it might not be at you, but you're listening? Well, that's kind of what he hopes, I think he hopes, is what's going on with the scribes and Pharisees, because he's talking to them, but not at them. So the parable of the prodigal son. Is there a character in the parable you relate to more than the others? Is it the younger prodigal son? Is he your guy? Or is the elder brother very dutiful and feeling underappreciated? Is he more real to you? Perhaps you know yourself to be so magnanimous and forgiving and able to see what really matters in the big scheme of things that you find yourself identifying with the father. One of the sons is reconciled with his father for sure, the younger son, the prodigal. And the key for him, and this won't be any surprise since we spent some time with Psalm 32 especially, he's feeding the pigs. And Luke wrote, as Jesus said, but when he came, but he came to himself, when he came to himself, boom, he had a spiritual awakening. He saw reality and hope combined. He perceived the horror of his situation and his role in creating it. As we know, he determined not to be a victim, but to go back to his father, accept his blame, and plead for a servant's place in the household. He knew enough about his father's love that he would be received back, if only as that. He came to himself. And so did the psalmist. And so did those to whom Paul wrote, and Paul's own self. All were reconciled, and all were restored. The elder brother, we know, is a different cat. Interestingly enough, Jesus gives us the elder brother for the scribes and Pharisees to recognize themselves if they had ears to hear. Cheryl Lindsay, a United Church of Christ pastor and writer, in her commentary, referred to both, quote, the lost Pharisees, lost elder son, and suggested as they were not having the, quote, the life with God they may once have had, especially the Pharisees. They could not remember or recognize that God comes with love for the lost. Helmut Tielica wrote a whole chapter on the elder son slash Pharisees and wondered if they had become too accustomed to too familiar with the grace of God that it had become taken for granted. He wrote, It can be the death of our faith if we forget that it is literally a miracle, a gift, and absolutely not to be taken for granted fact that we are able to say, Abba, Father, and my Lord and my God. Elder son, scribe and Pharisee, 
seem to have lost sight of that bigger picture which really mattered and made repentance back to the God of welcoming grace and new life. What they did not realize or had become unable to appreciate it for themselves is, as Tillich has said, <coughs> what they did not realize or had become unable to appreciate it is because of Jesus the door, there is a homecoming for us all because there is a home. What reconciliations and restorations can we think of which we personally need to participate in? Or God may be calling us to participate in. Have we done a self-inventory in which we realize that we had roles to play in the resentments we built up, or at least some of them? Or the damaged relationships that we are in or are over? When before we had not stopped to think of ourselves as possibly hurting another, and we'd been unaware that this is what was happening. Where is the place for accountability? Perhaps confession and forgiveness, or at least a coming together, which is what the word reconciliation means. T. Denise Anderson again, she explores beyond private reconciliations, which I have been lifting up. She goes, she explores beyond it when she said, in her commentary on this passage, not a long one, she said, when we think of reconciliation, we often think of people coming together despite past conflict and kissing and making up. In radical reconciliation, beyond political pietism and Christian quietism, Alan Busak, who is an activist against apartheid in South Africa, Alan Busak and Curtis Paul de Young uh, challenge this notion. Coming together is the result of reconciliation, is the result of reconciliation, they write, but is not itself the process of reconciliation. They say the reconciliation comes on the heels of justice. If someone has been wronged, it is disingenuous to say, let's kiss and make up. Doing so asks the wronged to ignore their plight and their pain. If injustice persists, restoration for either party is impossible. Reconciliation happens when people turn away from their harmful courses. And she also wrote for this month, this month in Lent, a curious thing happened among many congregations in my very white denomination after George Floyd was killed. Churches that had been at best timid to enter the work of racial justice dove into it headfirst. Colleagues dusted off their blogs to share their thoughts. Church leaders laced up their sneakers to participate in marches. It appeared that a reckoning had occurred for countless people in the faith. They finally got it and could no longer stay silent, not while a global pandemic amplified the existing inequities in our society. It was time to act. This would seem like good and right action, except many began this work having previously wounded leaders of color who had tried for years to call them into it. 
And worse yet, there was little to no attempt to remedy their errors or circle back with the people they had hurt. They were eager to move toward action, but had to be reminded that the past still needed to be addressed before the future could be entered into with justice. She continued, If there is a right way to approach Lent, it involves holding our past and future in tension. The Greek words for repentance and reconciliation both connote a reciprocal change. The person on a wayward path makes a U-turn. The transgressor trades places with the transgressed. Our texts, the ones we have this morning, our texts challenge, or throughout Lent, challenge throughout this month, our texts challenge us to examine who we have been, are, and are willing to become because all of it matters to the future we will build. Jesus, you eating with the tax collectors and sinners, guess who's coming to dinner? Do you tax collectors and sinners see Pharisees coming with humility and food? Hey, kid prodigal, guess who's showing up to your celebration party? Do I see your brother? Guess who's coming to dinner? Those who believe that reconciliation, restoration, and all that work leading up to it matters. We who have examined who we've been, who we are, and who we're willing to become are coming because all of it matters to the future we will build under God. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I um, I found this writing this particular sermon a, a bit energizing. It was a a bit of a different approach, but not that different. Um, a little more of the style of preaching that follows the pattern of it's a long taxi on the runway and then the takeoff at the end. Um, which is one way of uh, preaching uh, and writing a sermon, I should say. So thank you again for listening. I hope you found the message enlightening, challenging, helpful. And I ask uh, the Lord that God may bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.